Bangladesh Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina was in India for a four-day state visit, announced with Prime Minister Modi several agreements on trade, connectivity and water sharing. Are India and Bangladesh on their way to becoming ideal neighbours or can contentious issues on the boundary on minorities and the Rohingya still trip them up? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. We're going to look closer at India-Bangladesh ties here on episode number 78. Now, this week saw the Bangladesh Prime Minister in Delhi and she also travelled to Ajmer to offer prayers. Of course, this could be her last visit to India before elections, which are due at the beginning of 2024, so she has about a year. And she's at the end of her third consecutive tenure as Prime Minister. So let's first look at the agreements that have emerged from this visit. The first has been on trade. The two agreements, uh, two governments agreed to launch talks for a comprehensive economic partnership agreement or SIPA, which is expected to benefit trade between the two countries about 7 to 15 billion dollars over 10 years if they are able to implement it. At present, a joint feasibility study has been finalized and with Bangladesh set to come off the list of LDCs or least developed countries becoming a developing country by 2026. A SEPA will certainly accelerate bilateral trade, which is at about $18 billion at present. Bangladesh does have other FTAs. It's negotiating about 10 FTAs in all. Completed the preferential trade agreement with Bhutan already. A few multilateral ones like the South Asia one as well as Asia Pacific. And one with eight developing Islamic democracies. This is an interesting combination of countries like Indonesia, Turkey, Pakistan and Malaysia and others. Now, speaking to Indian CEOs, Sheikh Hasina stressed that trade between India and Bangladesh isn't just about the bilateral aspect, but that Bangladesh could be the route for goods to India's northeastern states as well. Uh, Sheikh Hasina also made a particular mention of the need for more power trade. Bangladesh needs more energy and in turn can pass that energy on to the northeast, wants to get it from India as well as from Nepal and Bhutan over what's called the cross-border trade and electricity agreement. And the next point on the agreements list is really on connectivity. And I'll just give you a sense of some of those projects that were reviewed during the visit. Power plants like to the $2 billion, 1320 megawatt Maitri power plant at Kulna, a railway bridge that's part of the Kulna-Mongla rail project, and the Kulna-Darshana road construction project. So equipment for that as well has gone from India all billions of dollars that India is putting into loans really for Bangladesh. The two sides also concluded two railway MOUs for training and capacity building with a view to ramping up rail connectivity between both countries, both cargo as well as passenger. And then there was river water sharing. India and Bangladesh, of course, share 54 transboundary rivers and a long history of distrust over water sharing. Uh, 26 years after the historic Ganga Water Treaty was signed. This is why this one is important. A few years ago, of course, there was a smaller drinking water treaty on the Feni River. But this time, the two sides agreed to an MOU on the Kushiara River. They also revived the Joint River Commission, which met this year after 12 years. Both sides really hope to use this mechanism to work on other rivers uh, that are contentious between them as well. Much to the disappointment of the Bangladesh side, no movement has been recorded on the Tista agreement. Now you hear about the Tista whenever India-Bangladesh ties come up. So I'll give you a quick look at what the Tista agreement is about, just in case you haven't been following closely. The Tista is of course a powerful river, a tributary of the Brahmaputra that flows from Sikkim through West Bengal into Bangladesh. A drainage area of more than 12,000 kilometers really. 
since partition, East Pakistan, which was well, Bangladesh was known at that time, has frequently complained really about not receiving its due share of the river, which uh, really has been dammed at various places in India. Then in 1983, this is post-independence of Bangladesh, the two sides came to a partial agreement where India would use 39% of the river, Bangladesh got 36%. But those talks also collapsed. They were picked up again after the Ganga Water Treaty of 1996. And then in 2011, so see how long it took to negotiate that. In 2011, the two sides finalized an agreement for India, which would retain 42.5 of the waters during the lean season between December and March, and Bangladesh would get 37.5% of that. But just as that agreement that had taken so many years to talk about was due to be signed between Prime Minister Manmohan Singh and Prime Minister Hasina, West Bengal Chief Minister Mamta Banerjee objected. The deal has been hanging since then, despite many uh, tries by the Modi government. An added problem has been one of climate change. The fact that the Tista runs dry for some part of the year. This is one issue and the real issue, of course, is a political one, where for India, the Tista has become a symbol of center state conflict, where bad ties between Prime Minister Modi and Chief Minister Banerjee have really exacerbated the rift over the Tista. In Bangladesh, unfortunately, the Tista becomes a symbol of India's unfinished promises, where no matter what else is agreed to, the lack of a Tista deal really hurts Prime Minister Hasina politically. Woven into all of this, of course, is the emotional bonds, the history of Bangladesh-India relations. And External Affairs Minister S.J. Shankar said they have been forged in blood, also in tears and emotions. India's support to the 1971 Bangladesh War of Liberation, where nearly 3,000 Indian soldiers were killed, 12,000 were wounded, was really laid the foundation of the country. Even during this visit, in fact, we saw Prime Minister Hasina announcing scholarships for 200 living descendants of the soldiers who had been killed. But back to the 1970s and in 1975, when Bangladesh founder Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, his wife, his children, a total of 20 family members were brutally assassinated by pro-Pakistan military officers. And only Sheikh Hasina and her sister survived because they were abroad. It was the Indian government that invited her to stay as she took refuge in Delhi for six years. Uh, she came out of her political exile subsequently in 1981, built back her party. And remember, Bangladesh at that time was under military rule. It was a regime that was very inimical to India, despite India's role in Bangladesh's liberation. In addition, over that period, Bangladesh had become a safe haven for terror groups and separatist forces that targeted India. So, in fact, it is important to note that it was during Sheikh Hasina's time when she came back to power because she lost power in, 19, in, in 2001 and she came back to power in uh, 2009 that we saw relations really get transformed. Uh, the signing of the Ganga Treaty happened during her first time in 1996. But then she lost uh, in 2001 when, when she came back in 2009. The first thing she did was really ordered what you could call a repaying of the debt to India. She had a full crackdown on anti-India groups in the country, handed over more than 20 most wanted terrorists and criminals to India. Most recently, handed over the Ulfa leader Anup Chetia, who was handed over after 18 years in Bangladeshi prisons. He was later, of course, acquitted when he came to India and faced trial here and now has been released from prison. 
Prime Minister Hasina also ordered stricter border controls to end India's longest complaint of illegal migrants coming into India, which had then led to killings by border police and more fraying of relations between the two countries. Since 2009, of course, India and Bangladesh have had very cordial ties, growing trade, people-to-people -people ties in particular. Most amount of visas are given to Bangladeshis for health, for studies, uh, for other uh, visits to India. Connectivity has grown year on year, leading many to hail this as an ideal relationship between the two neighbors. Where do those future fault lines lie then? Because as you look at India's ties with all its neighbors, none of them can be compared to the other. But the India-Bangladesh relationship does seem to be in a bit of a sweet spot for the moment. First, of course, is the dragon in the room, China. China has very strong economic ties with Bangladesh. It is a, a, a Bangladesh is a member of China's BRI with projects worth 50 billion promised. China is Bangladesh's top trading partner, largest direct foreign investor, largest trade importer, and military supplier. Remember, it still accounts for about 72% of Bangladesh's military hardware. These ties are always, of course, viewed with suspicion in New Delhi. Second fault line, possibly, is the elections themselves, the democratic process in Bangladesh, because Prime Minister Hasina is going into the final year of her third consecutive tenure in power. And even though her opposition has been decimated, she's expected to win again, a fourth term is always difficult in any democracy. India's problem is that its ties with Bangladesh seem to be linked to one party and one prime minister, and this can always cause problems in the future. The third is the, the rise of majoritarian forces in both India and in Bangladesh. Although both India and Bangladesh are committed to secularism and to equal rights for minorities, there's been a clear rise of attacks and rhetoric on Muslims in India and the Hindus in Bangladesh. In contrast to India, however, Prime Minister Hasina has been at the forefront to condemn attacks on minorities in her country, made her displeasure also with comments by the Indian leadership, including Home Minister Amit Shah's reference to immigrants as termites, more recent comments by the Assam Chief Minister, and of course the Government's Citizenship Amendment Act that has been passed but not yet been implemented. The fourth fault line is that Bangladesh is home to more than a million Rohingya refugees. It's keen to send them back safely to Myanmar. But the Modi government, which has maintained good ties with the military junta that was responsible for the ethnocide of Rohingya Muslims, has not clearly taken the issue up with the Myanmar rulership. And it also asserts that it will continue to deport all Rohingyas, regardless of safety considerations that Bangladesh has been speaking about. Fifth, finally, there is the Tista. We've discussed this. There are also unfinished agreements on other rivers. And with global warming, floods and dry rivers, all threatening Bangladesh's massive population, this could become the really thorny issue for both countries in the future. India and Bangladesh have too much history between them to disentangle ties. The moves in the past decade to increase connectivity, trade and visits are an important reminder of how ties between India and all of its neighbours can be in the ideal. The South Asia dream that has run into trouble clearly with Pakistan is achievable for India only if Delhi and Dhaka drive it. Now, we have given you recommendations in the past on Bangladesh when we covered the issue. Uh, but here are some more connected to what I've just spoken about. One of the best books in the recent past is the India and Bangladesh Liberation War. This is by Chandrasekhar Dasgupta. There is a, he, he was, of course, an ambassador to Bangladesh. He was also foreign secretary. The best book to follow that up with 
is Untranquil Recollections. This is by former Bangladesh Foreign Secretary. A nation Building and Post-Liberation Bangladesh has been written by Rahman Subhan. Certainly worth a read. Then on the history of partition, the Bangladeshi perspective, and 1971, A People's History from Bangladesh, Pakistan and India by Anam Zakaria. Midnight's Furies, The Deadly Legacy of India's Partition by Nisid Hajri. All take a closer look. Uh, then, of course, Sheikh Hasina herself has written several books, particularly about her father, My Father, My Bangladesh, by her in 2018 is an important work. I'm sorry, in 2021 is an important work. And an earlier one called Living with Tears is extremely important. And that is a book from 2003 when she had just lost the election again. Speaking about the situation with China, I would say Coping with China-India Rivalry, South Asian Dilemmas, edited by C. Rajamohan and Harnek Sheikh, is out at the end of this year or early next year. There's a chapter on Bangladesh by Iftikhar Ahmed Chaudhary, and I should add a chapter on Bhutan in all of this, written by me. We certainly hope you enjoy reading all of these books and enjoy watching Worldview. Do come back, do join us again from the team here. Thanks for watching.